everyone, and welcome to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. Well, thanks for joining us again. I am so happy to be back. I really appreciate uh, the listeners last week and my uh, wonderful guest host, Blake Laster. I understand he did an exceptional job, and I actually listened on my way to the event. So <laughs> I was very proud of the show continuing in my absence, and uh, it sounds like it was a really great dynamic uh, episode. Oh, <laughs> so I uh, also wanted to just make comments about the event I went to, which is why I was unable to be on the air last week. I was honored at St. Mary's University with the Alice, Alice Wright Fransky Feminist Award. And I never thought of myself as being awarded in a feminist award. And I researched Alice Fransky, who was a sociology professor at St. Mary's University and who many years ago kind of plowed the way for many of us today. And it was such an honor. It was a beautiful event. My family came from Houston. My parents attended. And were, it was just really a happy, emotional day. And I want to just give a wonderful shout-out to St. Mary's University, the President's Peace Commission, the Alice Wright Fransky Committee that selected the the recipients, there were um, multiple recipients, as well as hosted a wonderful day. Um, thank you so much, uh, Leona Planche, Diane Dusterhoff, and many of the others, Monica Cruz, and the students and faculty that made this possible. It was quite inspiring, and while many of the times, as um, one of the professors said, you take a moment and you, you celebrate, and then you move forward to do the work you were doing that got you noticed, and that really happened that day, and uh, I'll, I'll explain um, in a little bit of detail why this was so amazing. The... Um, the award itself is prestigious, but in preparing for it, I wrote on a questionnaire they sent about my work that I would receive this award in the name of the victims who have been in trafficking, who are still in trafficking, and and the ones to come. And I specifically pointed out a client of mine who you've heard me mention many times who was in detention. And she was to, had been held there almost a year, yet the second one I had uh, worked on in that same facility, worked on her case. And that day, March the 3rd, was actually her birthday. And so in my heart, I was receiving it in her place. And I had turned my phone off for the event, and when I turned it on afterwards, the first phone call I received was our client's fiancé letting me know that she was being released that day from detention. And I tell you, I did tear up. Um, it was, we started her case in September. She had been detained many months before we made contact with her. And that day, on her birthday, she was freed. So it was quite an emotional day on many levels, and I really appreciate being a part of it and every, every part of that day. So that moves us forward. I wanted to, I usually rave and rant and all these things. I wanted to just kind of recap last week. It was quite uh, quite busy. 
As I said, there was the Alice Wright Fransky Award. There was the release of our client from detention. I also just spoke this week at Northwest Vista University. I believe I spoke to about 500 students, faculty, staff members, and community individuals who came to be a part of combating human trafficking. And I'll put pictures up on the Hear Women Talk website from that event. It was really, really inspiring to see the the youth in our colleges and their amazing, wonderful ideas and some of the things that they've done already on their own. It was just inspiring. And it reminded me that I actually started this work as a college student. So I have hope that in the near future we will really be putting a dent into this crime and protecting the victims. I also was invited uh, to speak at Girls, Inc., a wonderful organization I've just been made aware of who focuses on girls in the middle to high school age and they have this great motto it's strong their their motto teaches or empowers girls to be strong and smart who would have thought strong and smart and I really enjoyed speaking to them and understanding what their program was. And then the girls themselves, middle and high school girls, had amazing questions about human trafficking and how to prevent them. So I want to give a nice uh, round of applause to Rhonda Williams, their uh, president, and to their MVPs, which were the young girls who made this event possible, and to Bear County District Attorney Susan Reed, who was a co-presenter with us that night. And then I also want to give an update to any of those around the San Marcos Austin area. I'll be te- speaking at Texas State University this evening. Again, to more amazing college students who have really exciting ideas and uh, this uh, amazing passion to move forward with their education and protect victims and uh, and get trafficking stopped in the United States. So, with that big old mouthful, uh, that would leave, lead me forward to another quite important event that happened since we've last met, which was a, a raid outside of Houston and an article written in the Houston Chronicle It's actually the latest in a series of articles written about human trafficking. And that leads us to our first guest, Lisa Olson, investigative reporter for the Houston Chronicle. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Dottie. (laughs) Well, you know, we've known each other for several years. You were writing about human trafficking at least the first time I became aware of that, of your writing was around 2008. That's right. I was investigating this same ring that was, again, had members arrested earlier, oh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and how at that time in 2008 they had managed to stay in operation despite a lot of attention from law enforcement and a previous round of arrests. And so it was kind of amazing when we once again see more arrests at the same bars involving members of the same ring that have continued to operate now for what the federal court documents say is 12 years at least. Yeah, and I, excuse me, good luck. I, um, you know, I learned a lot from your latest article as you put a really good timeline. And this has been going on since the 90s. Um, one of these people that were arrested had actually been prostituting around those locations back into the 90s. 
Yes, I couldn't find out as much as I would have liked to about that, but um, I could find out from public records that two of the women that are accused of being part of the ring's management now were people who were arrested in the early 90s in Harris County as prostitutes, and they were arrested on the same day, and their cases were handled together. So obviously these two women were in some way working together way back in 1990, and they have been in Houston since then, and both of them are illegally in were illegally in Houston so they were managing to be part of this organization for a long time even though they were also here illegally so it was kind of a combination of of things that was interesting and certainly put them in the same place at the same time a long long time ago now who learned what from whom what roles they each had who maybe got them here to begin with we don't know i wish i wish i could find that out yeah, it would be interesting. You know, did they come as victims? Did they come as traffickers? And 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 who benefited from all this ongoing activity? Um, I think many of us would like to know that. Um, of course, neither one was, of them right now have been acute, have been convicted of trafficking. Uh, one of them was actually convicted in a previous case of harboring a girl who claimed to have been trafficked to Houston, but they weren't able to make a trafficking case against her. That's Gregoria Vasquez. She's the older of the two women. The other woman was just arrested this time around. She's quite a bit younger. Her name is, she goes by Nancy Rojas, and they're the two that have been in Houston at least since 1990. And you're right, who brought them here, we don't know. Uh, We also don't know how long... The guy who's been now long accused of being sort of the major trafficker for the ring, the major importer of women, has been going and coming from Houston. His nickname, as you know well, is El Gallo, because you helped to rescue one of his victims years ago, and that's how I first talked to you. But El Gallo is still in in Mexico, and and I'd sure like to know more of his story. His real name is Gerardo Salazar, and he was arrested a year ago in Mexico, uh, but he's still in prison in the state of Tlaxcala there. And we don't know if he's going to be extradited. Uh, he does face charges here. And hopefully at some point we'll learn more about him and his relationship with these women and perhaps even his relationships with other organizations in Mexico and maybe in other parts of Texas as well, which I suspect exists, but haven't been able to come up with records to tie him to other organizations. Well, he um, definitely, and just to paint the kind of picture that, that we know El, El Gallo to be, as he t- had the girls tattoo roosters on themselves as his branding. Yes, that's right. And you, you obviously, you rescued a girl who had a rooster tattoo. Um, and I think you were the one who first called him a Romeo pimp, um, or maybe you got it from someone else, but that was his kind of M.O. He's a... Uh, relatively look good-looking guys now in his mid-40s, little dark-haired, um, but would drive around Mexico in nice cars. When they arrested him last year, he had a red Trans Am with Michoacan plates, and uh, his the way his uh, technique is described in court records is that he would go into small towns and cruise the squares and try to 
romance girls, uh, and I say girls because some of them are minors, some of them are teenagers, much, much younger than him, and convinced them either they had jobs or perhaps even marriage or some sort of relationship with him waiting for them if they accompanied him to the United States. And we don't know how many women he brought up here, but we do know he did bring women here to Houston who were then uh, forced to prostitute themselves in cantinas and um, that also some of his relatives worked with him in that ring. There's different information now about where he's actually from originally. We know he had property in a couple different cities in Tlaxcala and also in Mexico City, and some of the Mexican uh, press has written about cities in Tlaxcala where he's known to have lived as being centers for human trafficking rings. And... uh, so he seems to be part of a culture of corruption that exists in some small towns in that region and who he's connected to in that region and whether he's connected to larger uh, drug trafficking groups, which, um, you know, is likely is something we still, I still would like to find out more about. We're going to take a quick break right now and then we're going to come back and talk more about what occurred um, in Houston in the last week. So thank you and we'll be right back. Hold on and we'll get the rest of the story. This is Dottie Loster for Trafficked. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. You're tuned in to Traffic with host Dottie Lassiter on Hear Woman Talk, produced by Zeus Radio Network. We welcome your questions or comments. Call in at 646-652-2071 or post your comments on the chat line at hearwomantalk.com. Again, our call-in number is 646-652-2071. You may also listen to the live broadcast over your phone at the same number. That's 646-652-2071. What's that on your computer? Nothing. I know he's having an affair. I just can't prove it. She gets weird phone calls all the time. I wonder who she's talking to. Do you know what your spouse is doing on his computer or her cell phone? If you want to know, do what the private eyes do. Talk to Steve Abrams of AbramsForensics.com. Steve is an expert in computer and cell phone forensics and a highly regarded attorney. He's the private eye go-to guy, and he's your guy, too. So if you want to know what your spouse or anyone is doing on their computers or cell phones, talk to Steve at AbramsForensics.com. That's AbramsForensics.com. Or just click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk. And for a free 15-minute consultation, use promo code. Hello, Hear Women Talk fans. Are you ready for a vacation? How about a carnival cruise? When you're ready to get down or relax and be pampered. Yes, Mom, let me get your fresh power. Or escape to a romantic hideaway. Book your next carnival cruise with Christmas Travel and Tours. Fun, friendly, affordable. Call our friends at Christmas Travel and Tours for your next carnival cruise at 888-950-5849. That's 888-950-5849. Or on the web at christmastravelandtours.com. That's Christmas Travel and Tours because it doesn't have to be a holiday to take a holiday. Carnival. Fun for all. All for fun. Ships Registry. The Bahamas and 
Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advanced tickets. The Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Hi, I'm Tommy Brewster in New Zealand. And on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, I'll be listening to P.I. Answers with Vicki Childs. You can hear me on Tommy Talks Music, weekdays, 12 to 1 Eastern, on herewomentalk.com. Hi, this is Jessica Dorvaj, host of the Where Is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. Everyone and welcome back to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. We're speaking with Houston Chronicle investigative reporter Lisa Olson. She's talking about the ongoing cases in the Houston area and the stories that she's written since 2008 uh, on these uh, specific locations that have been arrested, raided, victims rescued, and they were still operating. And the latest in her series of articles was written last week due to a raid and rescue in um, uh, these same locations. So we uh, talked about El Gallo. We're moving forward. You're trying to fit together all these pieces that occur over time and geography and and distance of all sorts and gaps of information. And and so where are you now? Well, uh, I think that we'll learn more as this current court case goes forward one of the frustrating things is because none of these cases have gone to trial they in the pleas is that often we never get to hear from the people in court about what was happening so we're limited to what's in uh indictments and other kind of brief court records so what i've done to try to tell the story more deeply is look at licensing records look at um what the phenomenon of what uh, you know, you call in Spanish prestanombres, people who use, who allow their names to be used on liquor licenses or on property records, so that other people who probably couldn't legally get those licenses or records uh, can continue to operate businesses for illegal purposes without being subject to seizure or, or without facing as much risk of seizure. And that these people at this ring, I think, have really shown how. That can be used. I think that the city, though, now and, and the state and the feds are all focusing on this example uh, to some extent and others and trying to figure out ways they can go more tough, get more tough uh, on property owners that are repeatedly linked to illegal activities like this. Um, because obviously, um, this was something that the authorities knew was happening in the same place. But it's not so easy to prove that trafficking is going on in a, in a site like this, even when they might have sources that tell them it is. They need witnesses. They need proof. And these people are great at, uh, the people in this ring were great at transferring records and pretending that different people were involved when really it was the same ring all along. 
they were also really good at employing people to look out for their interests who literally were watching everyone who came by um, who were who knew what the agents looked like who were assigned by the TABC and by other agencies to inspect them and could sound alarms um, and even uh, keep agents out um, at least temporarily uh, so that they could conceal evidence of what they were doing so a really sophisticated organization that I think um, agents here are le- learning from, and the Houston Trafficking Task Force is an is a organization that uh, is considered sort of a model, partly because of its experiences with this case and others for other cities. So the things they learn from this case, they're probably passing along, I'm certain, to people in other regions about how do we tackle this kind of a group and how can we do better. I think this time the seizure laws are being used more aggressively against these locations, and I'm not so sure that we won't see this ring pop up again somewhere else, but it does look like the feds this time and the others involved are going to try to make sure that these same bars don't reemerge in the same locations as, again, uh, human trafficking sites. So I'll be yeah, looking I think at that's- that. I think that's really important, and that's what your article really brought out. And I've put a link to your article in our chat room. The article brought out that that you know RICO is able to be used in these cases, and that that the assets are really what should be targeted because they do just just reoccur. They just recycle, and as you called it, the paper game. And um, whoever was always benefiting is probably still benefiting. The city of Houston, I think, deserves some credit because this is something that uh, they've begun to do recently since I first reported on this ring in 2008, which I think is probably um, you know, operating much more quickly than the federal seizure process, which is they're just using the state's public nuisance law to target a lot of sites that are suspected for trafficking of different kinds, but to shut them down for other more easy-to-prove violations um, and they've reported to um, my fellow reporter, Susan Carroll, who covers immigration for the Chronicle, that they've been able so far to um, go after 65 different businesses, which is a pretty amazing number in the last three years, including cantinas that they considered to have a high likelihood of being havens for trafficking, and they've been able to shut down or evict or um sue 40 of those uh, 65 businesses. So the, that on a parallel track, the local efforts to target some of these businesses are, is really important. The other thing that feds and everyone else said, and I thought you know well, is that any of these efforts really need citizen participation. They need people to call. They need tips. They need people to reach out to victims, provide help numbers. Uh, the way this ring got back on the federal radar screen in 2008 is that someone who was a client at a cantina like this was upset about what he saw, handed one of the girls who was a minor a cell phone, told her she could call 911, and she went a couple days later, waited till the middle of the night till everyone in the house was asleep or she was being held captive, and she did call 911. and that's how this ring got back on the federal radar screen in 2008 after having been targeted originally in 2005. 
Um, 2005, the feds raid this organization, consider that they've arrested the principals, and probably think that they've shut them down or scared them off. But this 911 call in 2008, which comes about because of somebody being bothered about what he saw in a bar and handing a girl a cell phone, um, becomes key to then additional cases being made against two other people who owned the cantinas at which this was happening. And even after that, though, it takes another three years for the feds, who I think at that point probably reopened some of their probe of this operation, to then make this subsequent case that we see this year. And we know from public records that, again, it was a a woman asking for help that provided some additional information that was key to them, getting the amount of detail that they have in this current indictment, which explains more about the ring's operation and talks about the length of time that they've operated that is information that we never had in in other cases against against this ring. And that is really key because they can operate in this vacuum of impenetrability. I mean, really, it's just like they can operate in the open. The sign tells you exactly what's going on there. Many people drive by. It's right by the port of Houston. And yet, when we get one lifeline, when we get one um, community person that understands what's going on, it can change the world. In that case you talked about where she called, those those cases led to how many victims? It was an amazing number. Well, that actually, uh, the one I'm thinking of in 2008 where she called with the borrowed cell phone, that led only to her rescue because she was in a house by herself. Um, And that was an amazing kind of story because this is a girl who had no education, who was very young, and when she called 911, she didn't really even know who she was reaching out to. She didn't really know what 911 was. Luckily, the Geno City Police Department has a Spanish-speaking um, folks, and they're able to keep her on the phone. They're trying to use um, the GIS system, the 911 system, to locate her because she does not know the address of the house where she is. Uh, this is the kind of person. This is what trafficking, I think, uh, people who perpetuate trafficking rely on is that the trafficking victims are so con- cut off from their own support systems. They know so little about the place where they are that they don't even know how to ask for help. So even when this girl has the phone, the 911 call information, she's really unable to even give her rescuers basic information about where she is or how to find her. So the first effort to find her fails because she ends up having to hang up before they find her. The other people in the house wake up. They tell the police that are looking for her a lie. They go on to the next house. And it's not until she tries again that they do find her and they do liberate her. but And she does talk about being used in other cantinas, but in that initial effort, um, they only they only arrest, her, arrest the people who have held her captive, and they do not, they're not, the, it's a small police chief agency, police agency acting in that case, helping her. It's not the task force case, it's a, it's a rest made in the moment. And other people aren't rescued at that time. But I think what that does do is it opens the door to a new, a renewed federal investigation. They don't tell us, you know, why they started investigating again in 2008. But, you know, it seems pretty likely that it had something to do with that 911 call. Um, So they reopen the federal investigation, and they do say that they recently were able to rescue nine more women um, 
in this latest round of arrests. And then, then in the uh, the other case that was coincided with that, I, I believe it was the, Sal, uh, the Salazar case, they did rescue 120 women. Is that correct? The, well, it, back in the year the original case was made against this ring, there was a separate case that involved a different ring of Salvadoran nationals that was arrested um, in a in a really huge raid of two different bars and two different restaurants on the same night. That was a very high-volume operation with lots and lots of women involved, and they were able in just one night of coordinated raids to rescue more than 100 people in Houston from those locations. And that, those were not in the port area but on the northwest side of Houston, off Hempstead Highway mostly, right around there. Um, and those folks were primarily Central American women, uh, and that's considered to be the largest sex trafficking case, or, or some of the women were used, not used as for prostitution, but they were um, physically uh, molested in different ways and forced to work against their will. So sex trafficking, trafficking case, was considered the largest one on the mainland United States because of over the number of victims rescued, which is over 100, and that's called the Mondragon case. It doesn't have anything to do with El Gallo. It's a different ring, but... The original arrests of El Gallo and Mondragon happened the same year, which put a lot of stress on what was then a very new human trafficking task force in Houston. They were brand new, and they made these two big cases almost at the same time, which was pretty amazing. Well, thank you so much. We have to move forward now, and I really appreciate you bringing light um, this story. and. And I hope we have you back again soon when we talk about more issues in trafficking. Okay, this is Dottie Laster. Right. You're welcome. This Bye-bye. is Dottie Laster for Trafficked. Hi, my name is Jesse Jordan with Further Faster Initiatives, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. Hi, this is Deb Coletti, the host of The Deb Coletti Show. Join me at my new time, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, on Hear Women Talk Radio Network. This year brings a whole new lineup of guests, fascinating women and men, sharing their journey to a life on purpose. Unscripted, uncensored, but always entertaining. Tune in to The Deb Coletti Show every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Hats galore. Visit our store at 4822 Highway 17 at Barefoot Landing. We have the largest source of hats in the greater Grand Strand area. Tilly, Stetson, Indiana Jones, Wallaroo, Top Hats, Mad Hatter, Derbies, Felts, Fedoras, Cowboy, Golfer, Driver. Life is good. We carry a large selection of women's fashion hats as well as Red Hat Society hats. We also have an assortment of umbrellas, canes, and walking sticks. Hats Galore, located at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach. We are the best source for hats in the Grand Strand area. Hats Galore at Barefoot.com. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravel Resort. The Caravel Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravel's Studio Spa. 
featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Traffic on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. Well, thank you so much, Lisa Olson, investigative reporter for the Houston Chronicle. I posted her story on the Traffic social site, and we'll put it in our group site as well. I hope you can take time to read it, as I'm sure you can see things like this in many cities around the United States. And I so applaud the law enforcement in Houston who uh, did raid this establishment again, and then they keep doing um, what they are able to do to get this place closed and I employ the community in that area to support law enforcement and to help the victims in any way possible. Now that moves us forward to our next guest, Rob Holmes. He's the founder and CEO of IP Cybercrime. You can uh, get more information about him in our chat room or on our social site or you can go to ipcybercrime.com. Rob first worked uh, with trademark, trademark infringement cases at the age of 12. Wow, sounds like he was enslaved. <laughs> well, as far as he was a stand-up comedian in Los Angeles. He was employed at a premier intellectual property investigative firm. firm. He found himself assigned to investigate a new breed of faceless perpetrators, online infringers. Ooh, I like that term. Well, and that's what brings us brings him to us today. I've followed his blog, The Knockoff Report, and I see some parallels in what Rob does and what we can use from his experience to combat trafficking and to identify victims and even protect our children. Uh, Rob, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Dottie. I'm glad to be here. Well, I am so glad you're a fellow Texan, although I know you work all around and uh you know, we've had some chats and some phone calls, and uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed your company. But I'm also fascinated by kind of the parallel roles that we that we have. As I see, you work in some of the cutting edge cases um, in your field. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's nice. I kind of consider myself sometimes to be Forrest Gump. You know, I just happen to be at the right place at the right time and rose to the occasion. That's a good term. I like that, Forrest Gump. (laughs) You know, back in the 90s, I remember working cases. I remember one of our first Internet cases was actually called eBay. We didn't know eBay was an auction place at the time or a marketplace. You know, we just it was just a website we were investigating. (laughs) This is back like 95. But, yeah, so it's neat stuff. That's so interesting because 
Well, you're doing something kind of parallel to what we do. You're in the same boat. I mean, you're cutting edge. You're learning as you go. There's not a thousand cases before you. There's not a manual and a, and a you know six day training on it. You're really having to bump and feel your way around. And in, in doing so, this field has grown. It's it's giant. It's it's lucrative. And here you are in some of these these uh, landmark cases. I I just uh, I really applaud that, and I also understand the frustrations. <laughs> Oh yeah, but you know what? I, I actually enjoy it. I like I like being the first in. You know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of people prefer to be the second one in. You know, <laughs> but I like being I like being the first one in. You know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's a thankless job, but you know, there's a certain uh, kind of like pioneer mentality that some people have, and you know, I guess people like you and me, we kind of thrive on being the oddball that you know that says something can be done. Everyone says they can't. You know. <laughs> well, that is sure. You ask my husband, he'll say that's the sure way to get me to do something is say, you can't do that, <laughs> even <laughs> if it's go. a bad idea. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that's part of our Texas upbringing, too. <laughs> We're kind of yeah, well, actually, I'm from Jersey originally. You're from Jersey? Well, you got yeah. to Texas as soon as you could, I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yep. anyhow, so you and I are kind of hard-headed, and, and we like to break down barriers. So tell me, you, you uh, are talking about this um, um, this presentation you give, Jeans to Jihad. I think it's very interesting, and while it's not so close to trafficking, it parallels some of the, the things that we meet when we're combating this crime. Oh, yeah, very much so. And, you know, I started giving this talk about about two or three years ago, I think the first time I gave this talk was to uh, RCMP up in uh, Vancouver, and I realized I was on to something, because when I originally uh, created this talk, I was like, you know, okay, this is how it all started. I started investigating undercover, undercover, uh, sorry, yes, um, I started investigating websites that were selling counterfeit jeans for an urban wear company. This company, all of a sudden, we start to see, okay, here's one website sending us this product. There's another site sending us the same product. We started to match these guys up. And then as we're, we're working our way upstream, determining who the, who the, uh, the original uh, producers are of these, this merchandise, um, it led us to a guy up in the Canal Street area in New York City. What are the odds of that, right? <laughs> so then we go, we go and investigate this guy. They're business cards. We get a business card. The name was Abby, right? The guy's name, Abby. All the phone numbers didn't work. Okay, three phone numbers. None of them worked. But we had the name Abby. That was it. The odd part was that the guy who called himself Abby was a different person every time we made a visit. <laughs> so ah, now they name multiple people. Exactly. So now they're all passing around this business card. We had to figure out who's Abby. Not only who's Abby, but where's Abby? Well, turns out he was um, in uh, Moshannon Correctional uh, Facility in uh, in Pennsylvania, and he was running this operation from prison. So here we are at a, at a business in New York City where product is being sold, distributed very heavily, um, and the guy is running the operation from prison. And he so he was in uh, he was in prison due to uh, due to a case that that uh, actually landed him I think about a year or two prison time uh, in 
on a, a related charge. So he's in prison. We start looking for a second in charge, a guy named Ronald Roundtree. Okay? We start chasing him down. We find out he's up in the Catskills in New York. What's what's up there? I mean, you know, you know, people 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 go summer homes, whatever, things like that. But it's not really a place where a jeans trafficker would be, right? Well, guess what? What's in the Catskills and where he was? It was a place called Islamburg. Islamburg is a Muslim, you know, what they like to call a hippie commune. You know, like a you know, like a place where religious people go and. Have an, you know, and, and, and live a very uh, calm existence, but they're machine gun towers, and um, <laughs> about about three hundred yards three hundred yards walk or drive to get to anything that you can actually see. Uh, so own- wait, let me just draw this picture now. They're in the middle yeah. of nowhere, uh-huh. living a peaceful life with machine gun towers. Exactly. It's a that's it's a, a red flag for a lot of things, don't you think? I would say so. And these guys are. Mean dudes sitting up there in these little towers, and um, the um, this is where Roundtree was. The interesting thing about this is Lomberg is known to the FBI as Al Fukra's headquarters. Al Fukra, you know, a lot of these organizations, uh, these uh, extremist organizations, you know, like Al Qaeda. Well, Al Fukra is an organization that was that was uh, started by a guy named um, Sheikh Jalani, Mubarak Jalani. Al-Fukra is the terrorist name for a legitimate organization in the United States called Muslims of America's Inc. Muslims of America's Inc. is a corporation filed in New York State by Sheikh Jalani back in the early 80s. But it was really a seed, it was a way to legitimize their radical beliefs. So you have Al Fukra headquarters up in New York, and Mr. Roundtree dealing with all this. Sheikh Jalani, he was tied to to um, the Richard Reed shoe bombing. He was he was actually the the person that Daniel Pearl was going to visit right before he was beheaded. And mm-hmm. you know it's it's pretty well known that that interview was set up so that he could be beheaded. And, and that you know, was the reporter that the. the um, that was the reporter that was beheaded on film um, that exactly. made news around the world. And um, that was one of the most disgusting uh, videos I've ever seen. Sad, and it's probably one of the first ever viral videos as well. Let's uh, we we need to take a break, and I want to come back and and take a break now and come back so we can carry on with the story. But what we've established here is you're working at. Um, a intellectual property case um, knockoff clothes that wind up being tied to all these terrorist events that we know yes. made the the news that we affected us all directly. So we'll be right back. This is Dottie Loster for Trafficked. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio and the Zeus Radio Network. 
Dottie and her team train or speak to your group about human trafficking and modern slavery, the fastest growing crime in the world. Trafficking occurs in every U.S. state and every country, and U.S. children are actively targeted by traffickers. With laws passed in 2008, many businesses may be liable and exposed to risks they are not even aware of. For more information, visit LasterGlobal.com or call 210-882-2259. That's 210-882-2259. What's that on your computer? Nothing. I know he's having an affair. I just can't prove it. She gets weird phone calls all the time. I wonder who she's talking to. Do you know what your spouse is doing on his computer or her cell phone? If you want to know, do what the private eyes do. Talk to Steve Abrams of AbramsForensics.com. Steve is an expert in computer and cell phone forensics and a highly regarded attorney. He's the private eye go-to guy, and he's your guy, too. So if you want to know what your spouse or anyone is doing on their computers or cell phones, talk to Steve at AbramsForensics.com. That's AbramsForensics.com. Or just click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk. And for a free 15-minute consultation, use promo code Zeus. Hello, Hear Women Talk fans. Are you ready for a vacation? How about a carnival cruise? When you're ready to get down or relax and be pampered. Yes, Mom, let me get your fresh power. Or escape to a romantic hideaway. Book your next carnival cruise with Christmas Travel and Tours. Fun, friendly, affordable. Call our friends at Christmas Travel and Tours for your next carnival cruise at 888-950-5849. That's 888-950-5849. Or on the web at christmastravelandtours.com. That's Christmas Travel and Tours because it doesn't have to be a holiday to take a holiday. Carnival. Fun for all, all for fun. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Hamilton. Hi, this is Jessica Dorvaj, host of the Where Is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. Welcome back to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. We're speaking with Rob Holmes, and he's talking about Jeans to Jihad. And where we left off, we were talking about the Daniel Pearl beheading. And you, you're working this case that leads you into all this group that's carrying out not just intellectual property crimes, but terrorist acts. Yes, and the the most interesting thing about this this case was that it was a, it was a financing issue. These guys, first of all, the counterfeit jeans in the United States that that trade is funded and run completely by the Lebanese mafia, Hamas and Hezbollah, and these guys are using this kind of work, this kind of product, to fund their other operations. It's, it's very low risk, and, I mean, you don't get jail time very often yet, and um, it's not a very dangerous game. You know, with drugs, people shoot, shoot each other over. Very rarely you hear about people shooting each other over this stuff. Now, the interesting thing about this case, I mean, it just keeps on getting crazier because, now, this is a tale of two cities that Dickens wasn't intending, okay? All of a sudden, we're in this, this uh, place up in New York City, right? Then we see, okay, wait, they're storing a lot of their product down in Virginia, in the Richmond area. So we check out this place called the Big Easy Store down in Richmond, just in a warehouse district down there. Turns out it's within a moderate drive 
from a city called Red House, which houses the only other al-Fukra camp in the United States called Holy Islamville. And Holy Islamville is another Muslims of America hippie commune with machine gun towers and everything. Um, the interesting thing, I mean, this, this case just keeps getting crazier, okay? Here we are investigating this. And at the same time, remember, I was doing this on the civil side. And we were going after these websites one by one. I passed on some of my data to the feds. Well, when the feds broke this case, turns out they, um, they found, what was it? They, they ordered Schumann to forfeit $7 million. And they counted at least $19 million in COD payments alone between 04 and 06 into one UPS account. Now, <clears throat> these guys had about four business names, and any of us who deal with, with uh, shady businesses, these guys probably didn't just have that one UPS account either if they had four different business names. So you're looking at $19 million at least that was counted in a three-year period for this jeans operation. And after all this happened, Fox News aired this bust. And turns out, and they, they, they talk about the Daniel Pearl killing and the shoe bomber and all this stuff, and they talk about the, the Muslims of America camps, the Al-Fukar camps. And then somebody from their organization actually turned that bust, that Fox News footage of the bust, into a recruiting video. And you, you see on these end cards, and I can even pass this on to your, uh, to your uh, people so you can see it. Cyber Jihad 101, we will not submit, was the, opening, was the opening title card to that clip that was put up on YouTube. And then at the end it said, to learn more about Islamberg, please read the video description and visit the posted links. They turned publicity of a bust into a recruiting video. And so just to, just to close the loop, because I also want to move forward into the yeah. to the other um, to the spammers, is by buying knockoff and and fake jeans, we're funding terrorist activities. Who then, when we raid them, are recruiting more people to operate in those activities, and the and the the amount of money. Just as when we talk about in the sex trafficking and the the forced labor, yeah. is exponential. I mean, you had one account that's nineteen million, and you you know there were many more. And then also when they're making these knockoff jeans, they're not necessarily paying. They may not be paying labor and you know housing them in a nice warehouse to make these jeans. Is the the crime has spider webs that grow out to every. Every part of it, you know, there there may be forced labor and children making the knockoff jeans, which are then being sold, and then our money is used to then hurt our own country. And so, by well, buying into yeah. these things that you look the other way, or ignoring these incidents in your community, driving by them every day, you're driving by something that's actually is actually much bigger than you might know. Yeah, and you know, I can actually, not this particular case, but on a few other cases that I've worked, I've actually found, believe it or not, um, I, this is actually, this happened two different times, where we found prostitutes in New York City working the day shift as customer service for counterfeiters. 
So they're and making them work all day and then most likely prostitute in the evening and night. Yep. And this one particular operation, this guy, this was this was back about three, four years ago. This guy, he was he was a pimp and a counterfeiter. And his girls, he had he had girls working customer service by day and he was pimping them at night. And so, so this my, stuff really does come come around. It comes full circle. And what I always say, and especially when we're coming into a new case, I as a consultant, I look around and say, "Are there other crimes going on?" As I as I say over and over, these guys that would take humans and enslave them don't commit one crime, and they're not just hurting that victim; they're hurting the whole community that they touch. And that's such a good example. We yeah. have just a few minutes left, so I want to make sure we get into the spammers, as right. I've seen a lot of information coming in my inbox about spamming Facebook ads for sex. Um, I know Twitter. I've had some requests to my site to follow that look questionable. You know, this internet opens this Pandora box of good and and this thing that we're talking about, eBay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> eBay can be good or eBay can be as you started this case. Um, so tell me about the spammer work that you do. Well, you know, the, my, my introduction to the spamming community was about five or five years ago, maybe a little longer. I was investigating a spam ring that was selling a mass amount of uh, counterfeit watches for some of my luxury brand clients. And I started delving very deeply into the anti-spam community, or into the spamming community, and then, you know, hence the anti-spamming community as well with other enforcers. And I started to realize, after I started befriending some of these guys, because, you know, my business is intellectual property, but sometimes sawdust on your floor is very useful to someone else and vice versa. So I started befriending some of these anti-spamming guys in FBI and places like that. And I started to realize, wait, this same guy that I'm trying to identify is also spamming child porn, mortgage fraud, all this other kind of stuff. And child pornography is, it's, it's, it's on the rise. It's not like it's, it's stopping. It's, getting, it's very sad. I mean, the mortgage was huge for a while in spam. And then uh, luxury and watches, that, that, that kind of hits, hits around the you know, certain times a year. Um, and child porn is on its way up. And all these people who are spamming, they're just guns for hire sending out this spam. They don't care what they're spamming. You know, so one guy, he may have one client that he's selling, that he's sending out these, you know, a million emails for, uh, you know, counterfeit watches. And then for another client, he's sending a million emails for child pornography. Some kid in Budapest is just, you know, a complete victim. It's amazing. Um the network and and just to make a comparison about how easy this can be done you know our radio show assisted in rescuing a, a victim from many many states away with a phone call and email and she contacted us through our chat room so when you yeah. surround yourself with like-minded individuals you know people that are carrying out a similar mission you can do really really positive things but on the flip side you can also sell a million images of child pornography or a million um opportunities to participate in whatever the whatever the crime is and i think that is a short way to explain how these things are possible and and what it takes to disrupt them 
is to break into that and not be the like-minded person that goes along with it, not to turn the other way. That's right. And, you know, you're starting to see with certain developments, I mean, a lot of these countries are they're still developing. I mean, they've had civil wars and things like that. Um, their, their laws are just flimsy, you know, but, but you're starting to see because of Interpol and, you know, uh, the, you know, different Canadian bodies, RCMP and the United States, the FBI. That's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, right? RCMP. Yes. 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 And, and with all these different people that are actually starting to organize themselves as, as you know, Dottie, you know, they're starting to organize themselves. They're able to communicate with the law enforcement in these develop- developing countries a lot easier, and they're able to present their cases and referral packages a lot better, which is really nice. And we're starting to see places like Romania cooperate. And that's really great because it does take multi-jurisdictional, multi-geographical, even as we talked about in the case before, these cases move across time, distance, space, cultures, and it takes, you know, uh, it takes the world uh, as this crime is operating around the world. I want, I really appreciate your, your talking to us today and letting us into the world that you're combating. Unfortunately, as always, we're out of time. I have just 30 seconds left. What are your last words? My last words, I'm, I just actually, I, I thank you for having this podcast. It's a very important podcast, and I really appreciate you doing it. And I, I really thank you uh, for putting me on the show. Well, thanks for coming, and I know that we're going to hear more from you, and I will put your a link to your blog in our social site. And I just want to tell our listeners, thank you so much. Last week and, and this week coming have been quite amazing steps and many efforts around the nation to combat human trafficking. It's um, Women's History Month. We just had International Women's Day. And there's many more uh, monuments along the way to combating trafficking, both for men victims and women. And um, we'll be back next week with an exciting show. This is Dottie Laster for Trafficked. <laughs> 